Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hello, and welcome everyone into the Star Wars Legends Lounge, a show celebrating the books from Star Wars Legends. I'm Aaron Motes. This week, it's another first-time read for me, Shadow Games by Michael Reeves and Maya Catherine Bonoff. It's a Dash Rendar story, a.k.a. Dime Store Han Solo. That's, that's just a joke, everyone, just a joke, I'm joking. I do have some issues with Dash, but I'll get into that later in the podcast. But first, we have a question from Twitter, from loyal listener Rusar Vareth. Rusar says, With the book of Boba Fett just around the corner, what Legends books should we read in preparation? And will Canon Fett retain character traits from his Legends version? First off, thank you very much for the question, Rusar. Boba Fett's history in Legends is pretty interesting, in my opinion, especially for people that really like Boba Fett. Now, let me answer the second question first. No, I do not think much, if any, of Boba Fett's Legends story will be used in canon. If anything is, it'll probably be something so minor that it's just a fun little Easter egg, except for possibly one thing. I'll get to that in just a minute. Boba Fett's Legends history is so complicated and dense, I could do an entire show on it. But instead, I'll just recommend folks to go to Boba's Wikipedia page and click on his Legends story. Here are some of the highlights. He was married, got divorced, had a daughter. That daughter grew up hating him, tried to hunt him down when she was an adult. Boba continued to feud with Han Solo. He helped train Jaina Solo to fight her twin brother, Jason. His father's name was Jaster Mareel. His grandfather's name was Jaster Mareel. His mentor's name was Jaster Mareel. His name was really Jaster Mareel. Some of that was all true. None of it was true. It just kept changing. Basically, Boba's story in Legends is fun, but it resets multiple times. Of course... Once Episode 2, Attack of the Clones, was released, there was no need for a lot of the backstory of young Boba. And after the Clone Wars animated series, any stories about Boba Fett between Episodes 2 and 3 were now null and void also. And now, the canon comics are telling some of Boba's stories from after Episode 3 all the way up through Episode 6, Return of the Jedi. So I doubt any part of Boba Fett's legend story will be relevant to the upcoming show. However, if they decide to use anything, I would suggest reading the Bounty Hunter Wars trilogy of books. Those are The Mandalorian Armor, Slave Ship, and Hard Merchandise. 
They take place just after the events at Jabba's palace in Return of the Jedi. Now, going back to that one thing that I think there is a good chance that they would use. The one story I think that's a must read from Legends is Boba's short story in the book Tales from Jabba's Palace. The title of the short story is A Barve Like That, The Tale of Boba Fett. One of the things I think they need to do in the show, the book of Boba Fett, is answer the question, how did he get out of the Sarlacc pit? So read that short story if you want the Legends version of how that happened. Thank you for the questions, Rusar. I'm super excited for the Book of Boba Fett show, and that comes out on December 29th here in the USA. Now, if you want to be a really cool person like Rusar and you have a question for the show that you'd like me to answer, please feel free to contact me. You can email the show at swlegendslounge at gmail.com or send a tweet at legendslounge1. Now it's time for today's book. Shadow Games by Michael Reeves and Maya Catherine Bonoff. Grab yourself a drink and let's head in to the Star Wars Legends Lounge. The story begins where so many Star Wars stories begin, on Tatooine. Hotshot pilot and smuggler Dash Rendar is docked at Moss Eisley, waiting for repairs to his ship, the Outrider. Dash's ship was damaged running from Imperial forces on the Kessel Run when he skirted the Maul Cluster a little too closely. Dash needs work because he can't really pay for the repairs. He and his Nautilin navigator, Eden Vril, search the city for some easy money, and they stumble upon a galactic hollow star looking for some security help. Javel Charn has a stalker, and whoever it is, he's getting too close. Javel and her manager, Kendara, both in disguise, are looking for someone to hire for the remainder of Javel's galactic tour, and she's willing to pay enough to cover the cost of the Outrider's repairs. Before taking the job, Dash asks about what he'd be up against. Javel says there have been stowaways on her two tour ships, but that's not completely out of the ordinary. But the latest incidents have been worrying. Someone broke into her personal cabin and left flowers. And now she's received a hollow message with a hidden threat that Javel better watch her back at her next concert. Dash asks why Javel is willing to hire someone like him to help with security, Javel and Kendara share their concern that they're afraid they can't fully trust everyone on the crew. There might be a mole. Dash, Eden, and their droid Lebo take the job and join up with Javel's tour, leaving Tatooine. The next stop is a concert on Rhodia. Javel's entourage consists of two transports, one that she's converted into a modest residential yacht and the other that carries most of the crew and the majority of her equipment. Dash and his crew are given berths on Javel's ship, and they immediately start investigating the latest incident with the message. With the ships in orbit around Rhodia, Dash and Eden question the ship's flight crew and cargo master when alarms start blaring. There's a hull breach. 
decompression in the section of the ship with Javel's rooms. Dash, Eden, and the crew rush to the section of the ship, but find nothing's wrong. There is no hull breach. Dash and Eden rush into Javel and Kandara's rooms and find them empty. The women are gone. Dash organizes a search of the ship, but just as they begin, Javel and Kandara appear in the hallway. The women say they panicked when the alarm sounded and then slipped out of their rooms by a hidden passageway in Javel's bedroom down to the ship's cargo hold. Later, an investigation of the alarm shows a computer glitch. No, wait, not a glitch, says the ship's engineer, but a segment of code hidden in the communications between the ship and flight control down on the planet. The next day is Javel's dress rehearsal for her Rodian concert. The crew erects an intricate platform that's a combination of a stage, a ladder, and scaffolding. Dash watches the rehearsal with one eye while casing the arena with the other. If whoever wrote the threatening letter was serious, then he or she may have set something up for an ambush. While Dash, Eden, and Lebo investigate the arena, Javel sets up for one of her show stunts. Hooking into a harness and cable, she raises into the air above the stage and starts circling around the arena, singing one of her most popular songs. Suddenly, there's a bang, and everyone's eyes turn upward toward Javel. The hollow star is swinging out of control and starts plunging toward the stage. Just before hitting, the anti-gravity unit on her harness kicks in, saving her from certain death. Dash and the others rush to Javel's aid. She's shaken, but otherwise does not appear injured. Dash asks Javel if she wants to cancel or at least postpone the concert, but she refuses. She's got a responsibility to her fans and business partners. The show must go on. Thankfully, the concert goes on without a hitch. Later, Dash learns that what happened at the rehearsal was not an accident. Sure, there's a chance that Javel's equipment could have been faulty, but for both the equipment and the stage computer to mess up at the same exact time? No, that was intentional. And this time, whoever was after Javel didn't just try to scare her. They tried to kill her. Later, Dash sits down with Javel on the ship and demands information. Something's going on that's more than just a stalker. This seems personal. Who did Javel piss off? Reluctantly, Javel tells Dash she hasn't been exactly truthful with him. Before she was famous, Javel was a traveling singer. One day she caught the eye of a black son Vigo named Hitch Chris. The two fell in love and became engaged, and Chris used his underworld money and power to make Javel a star. Little did she know, however, Chris also used Javel to smuggle contraband throughout his section of the galaxy along the Corellian trade spine. When Javel was touring, Chris would stow stuff on her ships, making her an unwinning mule. And it wasn't just contraband. Eventually, the ship's crew found a body crammed in one of the shipping containers, then another and another. Javel says when she discovered what was happening, she cut off her relationship with Chris. But the Vigo wants her back. Dash feels sympathy for Javel, but says one thing doesn't make sense. If Chris wants her back, he wouldn't have tried to kill her during their rehearsal on Rhodia. Uneasy, Javel admits Chris isn't the only member of Black Sun that she's angered 
when the crew started finding the bodies, they turned over the information to imperial authorities. The Empire cracked down on Black Sun's activities on the Krillian train spine, disrupting Prince Shizor's organization. Shizor! Dash can't believe his ears. The Underlord of Black Sun? Javel has gotten on his bad side? The Faleen may be the most powerful being in the galaxy not named Palpatine or Vader. That's it, Dash says. He's had enough. When the tour reaches its next destination, he and Eden are leaving and returning to Tatooine. But Javel pleads for Dash to stay on. She needs to finish her tour. And the next stop could be a safe one. It's an Imperial fuel outpost named Bannister Station. On the way to the next stop, there's another incident. This time, when the ships drop out of hyperspace, one of the emergency hatches on the yacht blasts out, damaging the ship. Thankfully, they're close to Tatooine again, and they can make it back to Mos Eisley for repair. Javel is adamant that they still make their next tour stop on time. She can't wait for the repairs to finish. But the repairs on Dash's Outrider also aren't finished. So, Javel needs a new ship. Luckily for her, the Millennium Falcon is available for hire, and that leads to some macho alpha male headbutting between Dash and Han Solo. But Javel's the boss, and she hires Han to pilot her around the final three legs of the tour. On the Falcon, Dash, Eden, and a few of Javel's closest handlers talk about what's happened. Shizor was probably behind what happened at the rehearsal, but the only thing that the blown escape hatch did was to keep their ship from jumping back into hyperspace. It wasn't really dangerous to anyone. All it did was try to keep Javel from continuing her tour to Bannister Station. Maybe this incident was Hitch Chris again. Regardless of who was responsible, Dash says they all need to be on their guard. There's three more tour stops, and they need to keep Javel safe. On the way to Bannister Station, the Falcon stops at Christophsis to refuel. As the ship waits for fuel and Han loads some other cargo, Dash spots a cloaked figure sneaking around the Falcon's berth. He follows the figure out into the streets of Crystal City, leading him to a church. Dash sneaks in to see the cloaked figure kneeling in front of a priest. The figure removes its hood, revealing it to be Javel. After receiving her blessing, she rises and takes the priest's hand. The two speak in whispers for a few seconds before Javel turns to leave. She spots Dash in the shadows and thanks him for keeping her safe. But Dash is irate. With everything that's happened, what was Javel thinking sneaking out on her own like that? What if Dash hadn't noticed her and followed? Javel tries to deflect his anger, but Dash isn't having it. A former fiancé. A Black Sun Vigo is after Javel. Prince Shizor is after her. Still, she insists on keeping her tour schedule. And now, out of nowhere, she's sneaking out to a church for no reason. What is really going on? Quietly, Javel admits that there is one last thing that she hasn't told Dash. Not only is she trying to avoid Prince Shizor and Hitch Chris, Javel and her cargo master, Yanis Melikin, work for the Rebel Alliance, moving information between cells. The Rebellion, says Dash? The Empire is after you too? I don't know, Javel admits, 
but she suspects the Imperial Security Bureau is watching her. And still you want to go to Bannister Station? Dash asks. I have to, Chavel admits. There's a package there at the station that she needs to pick up and transport to the final stop on their tour, Alderaan. On Bannister Station, Javel meets with Imperial Commander Devox. The package that she needs to pick up is in a storage container on the other side of the base from where the Falcon is berthed. Javel turns on her charms and convinces Devox to move the site of the concert where Han can park the Falcon nearby and Melikan can sneak into the container to get the package. At the concert, Dash sets up a security sweep. He'll walk one side of the arena while Eden, Lebo, and Javel's droid walk the other three. Javel's crew sets up the stage in the middle of the arena and builds an elaborate ladder in the shape of a double helix. The ladder allows Javel to walk up three stories above the stage, and it can also be cabled up to an even higher height, so it looks like the entire helix is floating in midair. Javel is mesmerizing to the audience. As she approaches the finale, Dash notices a dark figure walking through the crowd. The figure takes out a weapon and shoots a cable at the helix. Dash shouts to Eden about what's happening. The two rush through the crowd and arrive at the assassin at the same time. The assassin, an Animid, is named Edge. He's famous for killing with edged weapons. Edge knocks Dash down as Eden slams into the Animid. Edge and Eden grapple, the assassin employing several different knives and edged weapons. But Eden is a Terrace Kasi master, using a series of punches and kicks to keep the Animid at bay. The crowd panics as the fight spills over into the seats. Dash is separated from Eden and Edge, and watches in horror as the assassin buries a knife into Eden's back. Edge grabs the cable and swings out onto Javel's helix, landing at the bottom. But the assassin's landing causes the helix to start swinging wildly back and forth on its cables. As it approaches the catwalk where Dash is standing, Dash leaps onto it, landing one story above Edge, between the assassin and Javel. Dash fires down at Edge, but the curve of the helix and the swinging motion make it impossible to aim. Slowly, Edge makes his way up the helix. Dash's blaster eventually empties. He tries to shield Javel as the assassin reaches them, and just as Edge is about to fall on top of them, Eden appears, grabbing Edge from behind. The two tumble over the railing of the helix and fall, slamming onto the stage below. The Falcon leaves Bannister Station en route to Javel's next tour stop when she decides to skip it and heads straight to Alderaan. On Alderaan, Javel delivers the package to her rebel contacts and says goodbye to Dash, consoling him about Eden's death. When Dash returns to the Falcon, Edge attacks. The assassin lives. Dash wrestles with Edge when a shot rings out. Edge turns, a smoking hole in his chest. He falls, dead, and reveals Lebo standing behind him, Dash's blaster in the droid's hand. The story ends with Han and Dash returning to Tatooine and saying their farewells. Dash learns that not only did Javel pay for all the Outriders' repairs, she left him a hollow message, asking him to join the Rebellion. But that's just not for him. Dash Rendar doesn't follow orders well. Dash Rendar likes his independence. Time for a break. When we return, 
I'll talk more about Shadow Games, what I thought about the book, and a bit of its history. It's pretty interesting. I'm Aaron Motes. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Star Wars Legends Lounge. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Star Wars Legends Lounge, where we celebrate the books from Star Wars Legends. But allow me to take a moment and recommend a book from Star Wars canon. Heir to the Jedi tells the story of Luke Skywalker after the destruction of the first Death Star. Luke's already a phenomenal pilot, but he's a long way from mastering the Force. And now, he's been ordered to carry out a daring rescue mission. Can the burgeoning Jedi complete his mission? while still continuing to grow in the Force? Find out in Heir to the Jedi by Kevin Hearn. Welcome back to the Star Wars Legends Lounge, the show that celebrates the books from Star Wars Legends. I'm Aaron Motes, and today I'm talking about Shadow Games by Michael Reeves and Maya Catherine Bonoff. Now, before I give my opinions on the book, let me talk a little about its history, because the development of this story is pretty interesting. For those of you who are familiar with Star Wars Legends, you'll know that Dash Rendar made his debut in 1996 in Shadows of the Empire. Shadows of the Empire was a multimedia campaign that included the book, some comics, a video game. There was even an audio drama made of the book. It was kind of an experiment by Lucasfilm to see how much buzz they could generate from something that was not a movie. And there was a lot of buzz that came out with Shadows of the Empire. However, the book itself did have some issues. I'm not going to talk about the issues with the story itself because I'm going to be going over Shadows of the Empire in our next episode. However... A lot of people had some issues with the character of Dash Rendar. It was though the author, Steve Perry, had created a character that, as you heard me call him at the beginning of the episode, Dime Store Han Solo. The story of Shadows of the Empire took place between The Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. Of course, Han Solo was in Carbonite at the time. And it seemed to many people who read the story that Dash was basically Han's replacement. For anyone that remembers the story coming out in 1996, I was about 18 years old at the time. There were a lot of people that had issues with that. I was one of them that had issues with that. And even though the Shadows of the Empire multimedia campaign was successful, I don't think it spurned the amount of success that Lucasfilm was hoping. And then, of course, in 1999, The Phantom Menace comes out, and Lucasfilm's priorities were, of course, the prequel films. So that's the backstory going into this book. Shadow Games was originally conceived around 2007, according to Wikipedia, by Steve Perry and Michael Reeves. And the basic premise of the story is what I went over in the beginning of this podcast episode. However, Delray Publishing asked if Perry and Reeves could include some 
canon Star Wars characters that were not in the original pitch. Well, Perry didn't like the idea, so he balked. Three years later, Reeves joins up with Maya Catherine Bonoff, and they agree to the changes that Del Rey asked about. They included Han Solo. They included Princess Leia Organa. Anyway, flash forward to late 2010, and just before the book goes to publishing, Del Rey decides to hold a poll as to what to call the book. The original working title was Hollow Star, but that was scrapped. The three choices that fans got to pick from were Shadow Games, Pursuit, and Shadow Play. After a week of voting, Shadow Games was selected. As I said, pretty interesting backstory about this book. One of the things I do like about this book is that the story feels independent from the larger Star Wars saga. Except of Del Rey's insistence that they include some of the canon characters. I agree with Steve Perry. I understand why he walked from the project. The inclusion of Han Solo and Princess Leia make the universe feel small. There was no reason they needed to be in this story. And I kind of wish they weren't there. But what I like about this story is the characterization of Dash Rendar. As I said a few minutes ago, wasn't a big fan of him in Shadows of the Empire. I thought he was too much like Han Solo, but on steroids. The Dash Rendar of Shadow Games feels different to me. He feels like his own character. Is he brash? Yes. Is he conceited? Yes. In Shadows of the Empire, he feels like a version of Han Solo. I I don't really know how better to describe it. In this book, in Shadow Games, he feels like his own unique character. And that I like. The story as a whole is pretty interesting. I thought it was a page-turner. I said on a previous podcast, when there's a mystery and I can figure it out early, I lose interest in a book pretty quickly. The mystery in this book surrounding what was really going on with Javel Charn had me hooked. I did not see everything coming. I mean, I did figure that when she talks about how she was involved with a Black Sun Vigo, that somehow Prince Shizor was going to figure into the narrative. Of course, the previous book we got with Dash Rendar also featured Prince Shizor. So I kind of figured Prince Shizor was going to be in there somewhere. I did not see the twist where... She's working for the Rebel Alliance, moving information against the Empire. So that was a welcome surprise when that was revealed later in the story. The best thing about this book, in my opinion, is the character of Javel Charn. I thought she was really interesting. I thought she was the most interesting character in the book. I would have liked to have gotten more stories with Javel Charn, but in doing some research, it appears this was the only story that she's ever appeared in. In my imagination, she's kind of a cross between 
Jennifer Lopez, Britney Spears, and Katy Perry. Uh, she's a singer. She's an actress. She's a stage performer. And according to the book, she's one of the most beautiful women in the galaxy. It would have been nice to get Javel in some other things, at least to have her referenced in other things. You know, reading another book and one of the characters is watching a Javel Charn soap opera or listening to a Javel Charn song. I do find her name a little difficult to pronounce. Javel Charn. I don't know. That's just me. It doesn't really roll off the tongue. But her characterization is one of the coolest parts of the book. So, all in all, as a standalone story, I'd give Shadow Games the thumbs up. One of those fun little reads if you are a little tired of reading stories important to the Star Wars saga as a whole. If you just want a fun read about a story that doesn't really matter much in the grand scheme of things, then I would suggest Shadow Games. It's, uh, like I said, it's a fun read. So, time to wrap up. On the next episode of the Star Wars Legends Lounge, I'll be talking about the first book featuring Dash Rendar, Shadows of the Empire by Steve Perry. Until then, if you'd like to get in contact with me, please email the show at swlegendslounge at gmail.com or send me a tweet at legendslounge1. Ask me a question, send me a message. I'd love to hear from you. Thank you so much for listening to the Star Wars Legends Lounge. I'm Aaron Motes. Remember, there's always a bit of truth in Legends.